So welcome both of you. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, be part of this event. So I'll do a little introduction. Uh, Dr. Jason Friedman is a pediatric oncologist and longtime pediatric advisor to Massive Bio. He serves as the inpatient medical director of oncology stem cell transplant at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. His clinical focus is blood and marrow transplantation and pediatric supportive care. And he has a particular interest in epidemiologic and translational research within pediatric supportive oncology. He also serves on several committees within the Children's Oncology Group and is also the PI and co-PI of collaborative institutional trials. Dr. Friedman has authored several textbooks, textbook chapters and peer-reviewed articles on the supportive care of children with cancer, and has contributed to the development of clinical guidelines to standardize management of symptoms and toxicities associated with cancer therapy and stem cell transplant. So welcome, and you are very busy, so we really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, thank you. And uh, we are also joined by Dr. Theodore Leitch, uh, an associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania, chair of the Rare Tumors Committee for the Children's Oncology Group, co-director of the Developmental Therapeutics Program, and director of the Very Rare Malignant Tumors Programs at Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, I should say. Uh, in these roles, he leads clinical and translational research evaluating novel targeted and immunotherapies for children with high risk and often ultra rare cancers. He is active in early phase drug development nationally and internationally with a particular focus on molecular targeted therapies. As a member of the pediatric subcommittee of the FDA on oncologic drugs, national international chair of three, oops, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, drugs advisory committee, pediatric NCI COG match target and agent prioritization committee, and national and international chair of three children's oncology group therapeutic studies, as well as other industry-sponsored clinical trials. In particular, he has been a leader in the development of TRK inhibitors for children with TRK fusion cancers and serves as the global PI for several clinical trials of TRK inhibitors. So thank you very much. And again, welcome. And we appreciate your time. So um, let's jump right in. And um, Dr. Leitch, can you give a brief overview of assessing a cancer for mutations? Sure. So mutations are changes in the DNA of a cancer cell, and they're what we think drive the development of cancer, the change from a normal cell in one's body to a cancer cell. 
And previously, when we've looked for mutations, most often that's been done looking for a single specific type of mutation in a single specific type of cancer. But more recently, we've gotten a lot better at using next generation sequencing, so broad sequencing to identify mutations across hundreds of different genes within an individual patient's cancer. And more commonly now, that's how we're evaluating for mutations rather than single specific mutations limited to a histology or a type of cancer. And with that, we've found that there's some alterations that can predict response to specific therapies across different cancer types. So the same mutation can be present in different types of cancer and can lead to response to the same type of therapy, even though there's different types of cancer. We're also learning more about the different types of, of mutations that occur in cancer. So there can be specific mutations called fusions, for example, that you have to look for in a different way. And so we're, we're developing um, more complicated um, you know, assays to try to identify all the different types of mutations that are present in one's cancer. And more recently, we've actually started looking at cancer mutations from the blood of patients. So Previously, cancer mutations have always been identified by taking a biopsy of a tumor and looking at that in the laboratory. But now for some mutations, we can actually identify them from a blood sample from DNA that leaks out of the cancer cells essentially into the blood, um, allowing us to follow changes in these mutations over time without having to do repeated biopsies of patients. Interesting. Okay, great. Um, Dr. Friedman, uh, what is the difference between um, testing a child's genetics versus uh, the genetics of the child's cancer? That's a really excellent question and one that a lot of people ask, and I'm glad it yeah. was asked. Um, as you all know, we're made of DNA, as Dr. Lage alluded to, and that is the genetic material that sort of codes for our proteins and everything that makes us up. Um, but however, there are times when that is what leads to cancer because you have certain genetics that predispose you to a cancer. But that's a very rare situation. Those are called predisposition syndromes. More commonly, we test for the genetics of a specific tumor. So if your child is diagnosed with a tumor or a cancer, we will look to see what the genetics of that particular cancer cell is. And the reason that that's important to differentiate is what we find in the cancer cell is not necessarily what is in your child, the rest of your child's DNA. And so we're looking for specific things that could help us treat the cancer, as Dr. Leach alluded to, that we would want to target on the cancer cell specifically. Again, there are times that the same mutation might be located in what we call germline, which means it is part of the patient and maybe the cancer. But most of the time, we're looking at separate pieces where it's on the cancer cell in and of itself. And this is really helpful now in modern, uh, with modern technology to know how we're going to treat a cancer. And I will say that if patients are diagnosed with aberrations or problems in their germline or in themselves, we think differently about those patients and their treatment might be slightly different because some of those patients may not handle chemotherapy or other treatments with the same toxicities, they may have more, or other risk profiles. So it is important to understand we're testing the patient versus the tumor. Most of the time, the treatment is dictated by what the tumor is showing. And, and as we'll talk about, these trials really focus on the results of those type of testing. Excellent. Okay. So um, the importance then, there's a big importance in having these tests done. And, you know, 
how would a caregiver go about that for their child? Excellent. So most of the time when a child is seen by a pediatric oncologist, um, they are going to get many of these tests done automatically. Um, adult medicine is a little different than pediatric medicine, but we have ironed out a lot of the, the ways in which we use this upfront. And so the child may get a biopsy, whether that's a bone marrow biopsy or a biopsy of a mass or a tumor. And not only is somebody going to look at that under the microscope or a pathologist to see what type of cancer cell that is, it's going to go through many of the things Dr. Leach alluded to. So they're going to look at mutations. They're going to look at certain genetic fusions. Um, they are going to do this as part of the standard workup for cancer. We also often send out panels of tests to other companies that do much broader arrays of cancer-specific mutations. And so in general, cancer centers are very savvy at doing this and will do it automatically. In the adult world, it's not the same. You often have to do that as a second step. Um, I know that companies like Massive Bio or other, other centers are able to help guide you as to what type of um, testing your child may need if they haven't had it already. Um, and your child's doctor can certainly do the same. But again, the reason these are important is it may guide therapy. It may say there's a specific agent for your child. Um, and very particularly important if a child is progressing through upfront therapy or they're relapsed. Because the standard therapy at that point we know has failed and we need to move on to something more sophisticated and more savvy. And that's when getting these tests done. And so your, your consultation with, a, with an oncologist or a second opinion or through something like Massive Bio could guide you as to what you need done that you may not have already had. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Good, okay. So why are genomics and these mutational analysis so important in treating cancer now? Well, I think that you're getting the flavor and the sense from our from what Dr. Leach and I are talking about that treating cancer is really not like the olden days. Even in the last 10 to 15 years, we've moved from what I would call the kitchen sink approach, where have, you know, you, you have cancer and we're just going to throw a ton of chemotherapy or a ton of radiation at you, hoping that some of the cells get killed um, and that the patient becomes cured. But we realize that the side effects of those treatments and the longstanding problems of those treatments thereafter affect that patient for life. And so that approach is not a good approach for everybody. Are there tumors still today that require very intensive therapy and we don't know better? Absolutely. But there are many tumors for which knowing a very specific mutation or a fusion can reduce the amount of therapy that that patient needs. We can do something also called precision medicine where we can say your tumor shows this signature and you would benefit from this medication and put you on a certain pathway. For other patients, it may say your mutation is very different and you need to go down this pathway. And so precision medicine is taking the agents that are specific to what the tumor is showing us, the behavior of how the tumor is acting and giving drugs much more targeted. The benefit of this is that there's a higher chance of a response that the tumor would hopefully go away, but also that you're going to dramatically decrease the amount of toxicity because you're only giving therapy that the patient requires or needs instead of a boatload in hopes that you'll get a response. And that is really the way the field of oncology is moving because we've learned very much that it's not about just getting the patient through the experience now. It's about setting them up for survivorship and living a healthy, productive life thereafter. And our little children with cancer really have a long life ahead of them. And we, need, we owe it to them to make sure that the treatment is as tailored 
and as um, low toxicity as, as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, thank you for that. Um, so Dr. Leach, I'll jump to you here. Uh, maybe you can explain to us uh, what is a clinical trial? Um, because I think that's where we're heading with all of these great advancements uh, in medicine. Yeah, so that's, that's an excellent question as well. So there's different phases of clinical trials, but in general, a clinical trial is where you're testing a new drug that hasn't been tried before or a drug that's been tried for one group of patients in a different patient population to really understand how well that drug works, what's safe about that drug, sometimes what the right dose of that drug is. Um, and it's really studying this in a rigorous way to try to understand best how we use these therapies. As I mentioned, there's different phases of clinical trials. So many times children with cancer are often enrolled on a phase three clinical trial when they're newly diagnosed. And that's oftentimes comparing the standard of care therapy with a slight adjustment to the standard of care therapy that, as Dr. Friedman mentioned, may either make it work better or have less side effects. Um, but then when we get to this space where we're uh, where that that doesn't work and and the cancer has relapsed or progressed through that, then we often do early phase clinical trials. So phase one or phase two clinical trials, where we're really trying to learn about new drugs and about the safety of these drugs. Oftentimes, these are drugs that have been used in adult patients and have shown promise in, in adult patients, and now we're trying them in children, although sometimes we do do uh, new studies of brand new drugs in children when there's a different target than there is in adult cancer. So it's really this, this process of, of learning about these drugs and understanding the drugs um, uh, and their, their, their effects in, in patients. Great. And, um, you know, as you know, Massive Bio, uh, we help patients to find those clinical trials. So oftentimes patients are in medical facilities that may not offer the option of clinical trials. Uh, and for those patients and even patients and providers that have exhausted uh, their options, you know, locally, we help patients to locate and enroll into clinical trials. We do, uh, we use a artificial intelligence-based technology to sort through all of the available clinical trials to uh, find clinical trials that the patient is eligible for based on their diagnosis, medical and treatment history, and also their location so that they can, you know, easily enroll share that information with their doctors and, uh, you know, be provided every option available to them. In terms of clinical trials, what treatments are used in those, in, in clinical trials uh, to target, you know, those biomarkers? So for many of these biomarkers, it's, it's medicines that are used that are very different than standard chemotherapy. So standard chemotherapy, like Dr. Friedman mentioned, is, are drugs that really just kill cells that grow very quickly. And so that's why they have all the side effects of losing your hair and having low blood counts is because those are fast growing normal cells. Mm -hmm. These are, are very targeted therapies that tend to inhibit one or only a small number of genes within a cell um, and are really designed to try to specifically block what's driving that individual patient's cancer. So some of those agents are, 
are kinase inhibitors. Drugs like lerotrectinib or entrectinib, uh, repotrectinib are, are some of those that are being studied um, for TREC fusions, for example. And these are all um, oral drugs that you take as a pill or as a liquid um, that, um, that have very different side effects and much fewer side effects than you think about with the sort of cytotoxic standard chemotherapy. Um, some of the others are, as I mentioned, immune-mediated agents, agents designed to turn on the immune system, um, and, and those are often given through an IV infusion, but again, don't have the same sort of spectrum of side effects that you think about with standard, with standard chemotherapy. Okay, great. Um, I know we're talking specifically about pediatric uh, clinical trials. Um, is there a specific age limit to pediatric uh, clinical trials? It does vary from trial to trial. Um, there are some trials that go all the way down to, to birth um, in terms of the youngest age, um, and some trials that actually span the entire age range that go from birth all the way through you know, elderly adult patients. Um, for, for many of these trials, eligibility is, is one or two years of age, but it depends on the specific trial. But for, for these pediatric trials, most children would be eligible. Age is not generally something that excludes patients from these studies. Okay. Okay. And how would someone go about getting their child enrolled in a clinical trial? I think that's a great question. And just one thing to add to Dr. Leach's prior um, answer is that not only is age a factor, but all the other clinical parameters of, of a child's cancer and how they are and their liver function and kidney function and everything gets taken into account. So it's it's why you need um, a good center that can evaluate you and whether you get there through your doctor or from Massabio or, or another similar um, group, you will go through a doctor screening process where they're going to look at all the parameters um, and or Massabio's uh, algorithm and will say, based on your function, you're this, you're that, you are or are not eligible. And, and it can be often frustrating because there are very few slots on many of the clinical trials. And it could be one little number or your kidney test is just out of normal range. Um, and so that could make you uh, eligible or not. So just something to, to be aware of that um, once you identify a trial, there are some steps that need to, to go through as a family or as a patient. And MassiveBio can certainly help um, as well as your care team. Um, I think getting involved in a clinical trial depends on what is the clinical trial for. And I say that because Dr. Leach told us that sometimes clinical trials are not just for relapse or progression, therefore the minute you're diagnosed. Clinical trials are the way we get information and develop standards as to how to treat children. And the treatments we have today harken back to research that was done in the 60s, 70s, 80s to know what is the right therapy for a child. And so I want families to understand that just because you're being proposed to go on a clinical trial does not mean you have advanced cancer, doesn't mean you have progressive or relapsed cancer. You may be on a trial where they're looking at whether eight milligrams or nine milligrams of the same known drug that helps a, a cancer is better or worse. And so um, one shouldn't be fearful of a clinical trial. Again, many pediatric cancers, unlike adults, are treated on a trial. And why is that? Because we need to pool patients together to get meaningful data. In the adult world, there are thousands and thousands of patients with cancer, unfortunately, but it's true. And so getting data about what works and what doesn't is much easier. 
In pediatrics, the numbers are so small and cancer is so rare that the only way to know if something's working or not is to pool numbers from various centers. And so clinical trials are the infrastructure to do that. So again, working with Massive Bio to screen your child and, and help you find a center that has a trial open or your own care team back at home, they can certainly do that. Um, but really using the, the tools, your genetic testing, your clinical picture, the genomics, um, sort of the course you've had so far and the response to treatment that you've had so far, all factors like this really are very important to determine what your next steps are. And if it is a clinical trial, there are the options and should definitely talk to your provider about it, but there's ways to get on those trials. Wrapping up here, but um, one more question. Um, when considering a clinical trial uh, for a parent, when they're considering that clinical trial for their child, does that mean that it's their last option? I think we've tried to highlight that that, that is a myth and sort of mm -hmm. um, important to know the clinical trials are very important to get research advanced and to get better cures ahead of us. Um, again, most clinical trials are standard of care, trying to make some tweaks, make the treatment even better. Um, a really great book called Emperor of All Maladies sort of walks through various clinical trials and sort of talks about cancer in a very unique way. And I recommend that for people who want to learn more about this. Um, but I think that if a clinical trial is for someone who's relapsed or progressed, every time you try a new agent and it doesn't work, it gets harder and harder to get that cure. And so it certainly could be that certain clinical trials are for patients who are re relapsed or their disease is what we call re 